Nick Helm and Nathaniel Metcalf's fan club on Fubar Radio. Hey, we're off, we're off, here we go, here we go, here, has it been a week? Has it, has it, has it honestly? Has it been a week? Did we, was it, maybe, I guess it has. Feels like a quick week though, right? Am I yeah, right? it's gone very oh, fast, yeah. Very I fast. can't really account for this week. Um, I, I just feel, yeah, no, I, it's been, hmm. anyway, so, do you know what, I'm going to, move my pyjamas from behind me so that when our guests comes you can just go great it's a couple of professionals well our, our guest i was just saying that our guest uh is a martial artist and uh, a little while ago we had ludy lynn on and he was on in a kind of uh, he had like a sort of tracksuit top on and was doing exercises while we interviewed him so i yeah. thought in that spirit, if I put on a tracksuit top, would it look like I'm a kind of martial artist who's probably uh, been doing some thrusts or something before before coming on air? Yeah, you could do. I could do that. So, um, <laughs> so uh, oh. should we start? Yeah, let's <laughs> start. Okay, so my, my name is Nick, and this is Nathaniel Metcalf, and you're listening to Nick and Nat. Nathaniel Metcalf's. Nathaniel Metcalf's fan club. Fan club. Uh, am I loud enough, by the way? Yeah, I think so. I can hear. I've been fucking around with my microphone settings, so I don't know what's going on at the moment. I think they're probably um, quite good, in fact. I think when you leaned forward then, it had quite a nice... Uh, it was like surround sound, so maybe if you're listening to this, plug it into your local Cineplex and get it in the full surround sound experience. That's what they say. That is what they say. I've... I've, I've um, uh, first room of fan club. Tell your friends about fan tell club. Second room of fan club. Just tell your friends about tell fan club. Friends. I've started... I started intermittent fasting yesterday. Um, How does that work? We don't eat for 16 hours and then you can eat for eight hours. Okay. All right. So my eating period is between 2 and 10 in mm-hmm. the afternoon evening. Uh, which means that... <laughs> I'm starving. (laughs) (laughs) So we start at two. This is a a nightmare. So as soon as as, uh, we play a song, I'm going to eat something. But, um, yeah. (laughs) I have had something just then, but, like, it was a bit early, and now I feel it'll be fine. It's all fine. It's all fine. I rushed something at ten ten to... It's fine. I don't think that counts. It's fine, isn't it? It does count. It's scientific, but I didn't... It can't count to the minute, can it? It can't count to, like... It can that. That's the point. But I think uh, I think what the, my saving grace is that I was a bit early yesterday. I didn't finish eating at ten. Hmm. I finished eating at like nine fifteen or nine thirty. And then, yeah, ten uh, seems a long time to finish. Really, would it make any? <laughs> can you pick which times are you do your fast? Yeah. Yeah. So I could say I finish. Yeah, I'll finish eating at nine, but I can start at one. Yeah. That's all right. I could do that, I reckon. Yeah. Well, that's all that is. 
Exactly. This is intermediate. I think there's like different levels. I think there's kind of like there's there's beginners, there's intermediate, and then there's experts. I think experts is going days without eating. But I'm just starting out, and um, just sort of like I weighed myself for the first time in a month. I've just been giving myself like a visual, oh fuck, <laughs> but um, you know, just like a once over in the mirror and gone. That wasn't like that <laughs> a month yeah. ago. Um, and uh, weighed myself uh, to check out the damage. And, yeah, it's it's the heaviest I have ever been, but only a little bit heavier than it was before. So now I'm just sort of, like, going through the process of... Uh, well, um, you know, as we said before, I mean, it was two weeks ago, so just think of all of the improvements you could have made within two weeks, but done none. Um, absolutely no, no improvements. But um, like, if you the other thing is, if you if it had been normal times, we probably all would be out more anyway, just because we have to be, because we've all got places to be, and you probably end up walking from one place to another and doing more exercise without um, even knowing it. Absolutely, you do. Like, right, like I mean, but I've had a meeting this morning, and I've had another meeting, and then I've got another meeting after this, and it's like. Um, so I will have spent like six hours just sat down in front of my computer today. Yeah. But then we're meeting up after this, right? Yeah. So and if you'd met in real life, you had meetings in real life, you probably would have had to go different buildings, walk around, kill time. You'd be on your feet. Absolutely. You'd be on your feet the whole time. Absolutely, Nathaniel. No one's doubting that. And if things were normal, we wouldn't be here. We'd be there, wouldn't we? We'd be in the studio. But, um, and I would probably walk there and back, you know, because that's what, that's what I do. Uh, (laughs) I didn't. I I used to get an Uber in. Yeah, you did. Um, But, um, uh, just for full transit, I'd walk home though, but it was sort of at, at a slope. It was sort of like downhill, but uh, yeah, I would I would walk home. Um, you know, because you go past uh, Greg's and Costa. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, no, absolutely. I yeah, I, I don't feel bad about it, but also I feel like I've given up smoking and I've you know properly, and I've given up drinking, and it's like. What else are you going to beat yourself up over? So I just sort of, you know, it's fine. I don't want to get into this today. So um, what have you been a fan of this week, Nathaniel? Uh, well, I was a fan of your special that you did over the weekend. You got me a link for. That's uh, oh, yeah. that's a big I got fan you of a link. I got, got you a link. Oh, yeah, on the when... quiet. I went and asked the, uh, the, the guys, hey, do you think I could have a link? And they got you one. So very. Did you watch the? Uh, did you watch all the Q and A afterwards? Did you? I watched all the Q and A, but it was on for a long time. Wow, wow! It's like it a podcast, a way. It was well, it wasn't that long? It was shorter than this show. Is it? Uh, no, I think it was longer than. I don't know. We didn't. It wasn't planned, was it? Oh, well, no, it wasn't. It was. I was aware that when it finished, I went. Oh, it's late. It's late now. I thought yeah. it was much earlier. I mean, it started early. It started at seven thirty. I thought. Yeah. That was, you know, but that's how it was. Well, thank you for watching. Thank you for watching the whole thing. I thought it was great. Um, I was really, um, like, it's it's a very good show. And I was really struck by 
you go, oh, I forget, you know. I think it's because I haven't really seen any comedy in the past year that was sort of really struck by it. And I'd seen it before, so I guess I'd seen that show being recorded and I'd seen a version of it in Edinburgh the year before. And it's yeah. a great show, and I think people should watch it and be reminded of Nick Helm. Sure. It was, um, uh, yeah, it was weird watching it back. I, yeah. How oh, did you have it uh, on as well? Do you have the a feed well, of it? I, well, because I, I watched it in the, I watched it, because we were going to talk, it was a Q&A, and it was like, I had to know. So I watched it, I watched it as live with the rest of the audience. Um, I've found a headband that's been in the wash, and it smells of uh, Lenore. It's lovely. That's all right. I'm glad that it smells of Lenore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She's an incredibly sweaty woman. Um, so <laughs> that's a good one. That's a good one. That worked. Um, worked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you mean you've been starved from comedy, mate? Every week. Um, so, yeah, so I watched it back and, uh, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, I, there's obviously things that you would change when you watch stuff back. But, um, uh, yeah, it's it's it was good. I was like, oh, yeah, this is really good. And yeah. it sort of hangs together. And there's sort of like setups and uh, punch. Because there was one of the questions on the Q&A was, how do you do, how do you work out where the interval goes? And it was like, with that show, it was like, it was almost like it was written with an interval in it. Because mm. there's one standalone routine that lasts about 40 minutes with a song. And then there's like lots of other little routines in the second half yeah. that are all about a certain subject matter. And then there's callbacks to the second, to the first half at the end of the second half. It's just, I was like, wow, whoever wrote this is a genius. <laughs> But it was such a long time ago, do you know what I mean? It was yeah. two years ago now, so... It's funny to see that stuff again, because it just feels like, oh, yeah, look at them all in there, all sat together watching uh, watching something live happening. Um, crazy. Absolutely mm. crazy. But I, I, it actually... Um, I didn't... I didn't... I'm not particularly... Well, I am fairly sentimental, but I'm not particularly sentimental or nostalgic for a stand-up. Yeah. But in watching it, I was just like, oh, fucking hell, remember when we all used to do that? And remember when people used to, you know, leave the house and sit next to each other and stuff like that? So I did get a little bit kind of, like, emotional about it at the end. Um, yeah, and it did, you know, it's one of those things where you watch it and then you see something live and then you instantly think, yeah, God, I'd love to do some live stuff. It'd be great. And then you book in a tour and then you're like, Oh no, what have I done? So I haven't booked a tour in yet, but yeah, it was good. Um, so th yeah, thanks for watching that. Uh, Phoenix from the Flames, I think you can probably still download it from Go Faster Stripe and then there might be some sort of release at some point, I'm not sure. Must um, be. Must be, must be. Must but be. what, what else? Because you gave me some homework assignment. Mr. Well, I said, uh, I said one of the things, I gave you a list of things I was watching and thinking of watching. And I think you were you going to watch the Red Queen kill seven times? No, I've seen it. Oh, but, okay. Um, I've seen it. I've seen it. Um, is that it right there? I've got it on. I've got it on. I've got it on DVD. Old school. Um, 
I've got it on DVD. Uh, do you know what? When you start talking, I'll go over there and I'll get my copy and then I'll come back again. Well, one of the things I watched um, was that, which was the Red Queen kills seven times. But, well, hang on, hang on. Before you start talking, yeah. let me just say, <laughs> I ran out of time this week, so I didn't watch any of your suggestions. Okay. All right. I feel... Well, no, I was in a... I was in a... Uh, I had a lot of deadlines, and... It's no pressure, uh, it's fine. No, good. I don't think... I mean, we added this element, and then I thought well, it one... went quite well the other week. <laughs> but then, and now I feel like this is a job, and... Well, The Red Queen Kills Seven Times is a, a giallo movie, an Italian giallo, from 1972, um, and it has a masked killer in it, Um and a lot of people at the time were apparently saying that it could sort of spin off into like a series, but it never did because she's quite a sort of striking looking killer. So it's a woman with black hair, but with like a white mask. So I think at the time people were thinking she could end up in like being like a sort of Italian Freddy Krueger or Jason or someone. Um, and I watched it for the first time. And my opinion of it was that it was it was just all right. I liked it. I thought it was quite neat. It had it was all set around the fashion industry in Italy. And but unlike uh Blood and Black Lace, which is also a giallo set around the fashion industry, I didn't find it as sort of fun or stylish. What did you make of I'm it? Nick? Back. I'm back, guys. So here we go. Well, what were you saying about that? I was just saying that <laughs> saying it's it's a giallo. It has a mask killer in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those I heard you, I heard you, I heard you. Um so I couldn't find my copy for some reason. I know I've got it, so I don't know where it is. I found my copy of uh The Night Evelyn Came Out of the Grave. Which is done by the same person, I think, right? Same person. Well that's why I selected it, you see, because it's the same person. It's just got like a similar um, blue. It's, this is a Blu-ray. It's not a DVD. It's got similar artwork. I think it's the same sort of like spiral artwork. Yeah, I think they've done um, it, uh, put in this almost like it's part of a series. Yeah, right. So you were saying that they were trying to make it into sort of like a franchise. Well, so like I think it, people afterwards have sort of said that that it sort of feels much more than a lot of those jellos. It feels like it's part of, or it could have been the first one. And there is a lot like she comes in, kills seven people, and goes. And it feels like the kind of thing where even the actual Red Queen character, it, essentially, it's a spoiler alert from 1971, but there's more than one of them by the end. So you get a sense that, oh, right, I guess you could have this thing that spins off slightly and has other ones. Yeah. Or it could have been a sort of giallo Freddy Krueger or something. Well, it was directed by Emilio P. Miraglia. Is that how you would say it? Something like that, yeah. Uh, so he directed uh, The Red Queen Kill Seven Times as well as The Night Evelyn Came, back, came Out of the Grave. Um, yeah, I mean, I I can't really remember it, to be honest. Um, <laughs> is it the one that is set in sort of like a country manor? And at the end, it's kind of like all in kind of like the corridors and stuff. 
No, it, this one ends well. as quite a kind of what felt like a really big budget ending, and it's all set with their they're sort of flooding this um, this cellar, and lots of actual water streams in. Yeah, tons of rats. Yeah, like this manor. Oh yeah, yeah. I guess so. Yeah, I guess yeah. It's a cellar. Like what I Paris. yeah, yeah. Yeah, like almost yeah. like I've remembered it exactly right. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah, right. I remember. Yeah, and then they flood it. Yeah. Oh, cool. Um, I, I, I think basically I really love Jellos, and, and I was um was working on some sort of related project, so I was watching lots and lots of Jellos at the time, and buying them because they were on Arrow Video, and fuck me, they just had loads of them in uh, FOP, and I would just go in and buy them. Um. So I've got loads. Well, not loads, actually. Just looking. I don't have loads. I've got quite a few, though. Um, I really like them. They're very disposable and interchangeable and sort of like... Um, uh, like like I said, I could have equally been describing the night Evelyn came, came out of the grave, but um, I wasn't. So I don't know. I, I, it depends what you're trying to get out of them. They're sort of like... Um, I don't know. Are you meant to be it's... like an expert in them? Well, this has almost sort of brought me on to what I was thinking about earlier in the week where I've started listing films I watch on Letterboxd. And when you watch them, it kind of encourages you to put like a star rating. So you go, sure. And even films I really like are often like, I mean, three though, but I love it. But I guess it's, like, it's not great. And it occurred to me that this year, looking at that has almost made me notice that when they had the Oscars come out on Monday that I've sort of paid very little attention because films haven't been coming out in the same way. Like, the films that are up for Oscars are films I haven't seen. And I think normally my preferred way of going to see a film would be to go to the cinema. So almost invariably I probably will have seen two-thirds, if not more, of all the Oscar nominations just because I'd go to the cinema regularly. Uh, and this year I realised when you're re- hearing the results that I felt very kind of distant from it in quite an odd way. You go, I've got no kind of real interest in it in a way that I haven't felt like this for years. It's just, and what, when I look at my letterbox, it's like, well, what, what I've been doing is I've really been sat at home and I've really followed my muse in terms of what I watch. There's been no, you know, in, in quite an interesting way, it's literally what I want to watch next is what I watch. There isn't like, oh, fancy going to the cinema, what's on? Everything I'm watching is entirely stuff that I'm picking myself from films I either own or I'm buying because I fancy yeah. watching that next. Whereas yeah. so much of your the film culture would be people talking about what's new and what's out currently. And that makes yeah. me, oh, I might see that. But it's sort of, and how sort of this year when you hear the Oscars, I just felt like I don't, don't really know. I've not seen it. Don't know. Don't really know about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, uh, I used to go, I think even when I was at school, I mean, I used to think the Oscars were absolutely incredible. Yeah. Um, uh, I just, lo- you know, I loved it. I've never been into sports, and uh, and I think sort of like films, as, as passionate as people get about their favourite teams and stuff like that, I'm really passionate about films. And um, I can talk about films for hours, and so, like, the Oscars was always kind of like a thing. More so than the BAFTAs. I mean, I didn't really ever pay much attention to the BAFTAs. Mm. Um, and then, 
uh, and then you know, I used to run an I used to run a gig on the Isle of Dogs on a Sunday, and I even remember like a couple of years, like it was the tr- transport. I think they were doing like rail repair stuff at the time, so actually getting from one side of London to the Isle of Dogs was an absolute fucking ball ache on a Sunday night. Plus, there wouldn't be an audience because it was a ball ache to get there. <laughs> and, um, and you know, I just remember, like, on Sunday nights, I'd sort of, like, uh, if the gig went... Uh, well, not on Sunday nights in general. Like, when the Oscars were on, I remember that I guess the gig had gone ahead and then I had to get, like, buses and trains... And then I eventually got back to my parents' house to watch the Oscars with them. And we all, I don't think I was living in St Albans at the time. I think I was in London by that point. So I was, um, yeah, so I travelled back to watch it with my parents and we'd stay up late and, you know, well, not just late, we'd stay up early and we'd watch the Oscars and we'd, like, take bets on it. And then even when, um, when I had my flatmate, we watched the Oscars and then we went... Uh, you, do you know what I mean? It was like a yeah. real like thing. You'd Who was hosting in. the Oscars? It'd be a big thing. You'd go, ah, oh, brilliant! It's Steve Martin or Billy Crystal or. Well, St- it's all I, look I, forward I, to it. I still think that Steve Martin was one of the best hosts that they had, and he's you know I still remember some of the jokes that he made. I guess it was in two thousand and one because he was making jokes about Gladiator, and I you know I still remember all that, and um, yeah, it, like meant a lot, and like. The last few years, this is going to sound like an absolute, uh, I don't know. So I went, I, so I went to the, I went to the BAFTAs like a couple of years ago and then it was all like, you're not allowed to move and you're not allowed to go to the toilet. And it was, we were there for like a short film, but there was kind of like, you know, it was the, it was the film one and it was kind of like, it felt so kind of like manufactured and, um, construct. You know, I obviously award ceremonies are popularity contests to some degree, but it just felt like this massive popularity contest, and um, yeah. And then I and then I don't. It's not like I. It was an intentional thing or a deliberate thing or a conscious thing, but I just haven't really. Um, and I don't think it's bitterness either because we didn't win. <laughs> I think it's because it was all like, you know, um, it just was like this endless ceremony and you're kind of like going, yeah, 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 when's dinner? Because <laughs> we were all starving <laughs> and it was cold and all of, all of this other stuff. So, so yeah, but like, I can't remember when that was. That was like 2016 or 17. So like the few years later, 16, I think. So like the five years on, and I just haven't really paid much attention. And to the point where this year, it was like, the, I heard like, oh, the Oscars are on. And then I was like, oh, I suppose it must be around this time. I had to ask someone and be like, are the Oscars on tonight? And they were like, yeah. And I was like, that's interesting. Because for some reason, I just sort of assumed that they'd cancelled it this year. Because what? But obviously they haven't. There's been films that came out. I don't know who was nominated. I don't know who won. I don't know anything about it. And it's kind of like, I feel a little bit sad about that, I suppose, because mm. you think, I used to be, I used to, not obsessed, but yeah. it used to be like a date in my diary. And now it's kind of... I don't know who uh, hosted it. I don't know if it had a host. 
I don't know. I know it was, it was in like a train station or something they filmed it in, which I think sort of sounds a bit depressing, like so everyone could be socially distanced or something. So it's like, <laughs> okay. Right. Uh, so I'm sure it, it was all a bit of a weird one to watch. But uh, also I don't feel, like you, I don't feel like I've seen any of the films that no. are um, that are being kind of... Uh, yeah. Because also a lot of it's like they're things where when you see them, the titles of things, and I'm, I'm going, oh, yeah, sure. I don't have that. And I'm sure if they had come out, I probably would have seen a bunch of them because they would have been what was out that week or I'd have seen more about them because they were they would have been publicised around the time and I would have been, oh, I'll give that a go. Or and It's but just like they're just titles of films that are just like, oh, okay, well. But you were working in a cinema when lockdown happened. Yeah, yeah, but I've, yeah, I've not had any of that, of course, either. So I've not. Had... No, so you, were, so you absolutely. If it wasn't for that, I mean, you would have absolutely. Mm. But even then, you know, like me and you both have an interest in films that we would know about what was out or what was coming out, because probably at least once a week, I look at listings and go, "Oh, what can I go and see?" And if I don't know what it is, I'd probably have gone, I'd have googled it, or I'd have, "Oh, what's that about? What's that one? Which is this one?" Well, you know, I walk past the cin. I walk past the cinema every day, you know, and this, we've got a huge cinema, and it's worth going to. And I love going to the cinema when I'm in town. And I always stop off, you know. I always sort of like walk through Leicester Square when I have an opportunity to to just see what's. So it's kind of, but we're also getting to the point where the films that are being released are now being influenced by lockdown. I don't mean like. I mean that seems like such an obvious thing, but. There were films that were in the process of being made that got delayed. There were films mm. that were finished that got delayed. And now there are films that are being entirely, you know, written, directed and uh, edited and then released during lockdown um, that are all reflecting kind of where the world is now. So it's it's kind of like, um, yeah, it's just this really weird process where you just think, well, what is the difference between... Uh, Hollywood and Netflix now. Mm. Yeah. It's all just like streaming, isn't it? So, um, But it doesn't have that thing for me. Like, I don't follow... I mean, I think maybe it does for other people, perhaps. But, like, even... I mean, some of those Oscar nominees are on... Uh, are on Netflix. But I haven't seen them because Netflix doesn't do the job for me of making me want to see anything it's everything outside i saw mank a few months ago which is a netflix yeah. film that was nominated for an oscar oh, was I it? it was all right yeah but like you go i, ha- I mean i hated it so it yeah, was I kind of was. like um yeah uh, but but like you said <laughs> on the positive side of it positive end of it you know i've been watching stuff that um i wouldn't necessarily i wouldn't necessarily have picked um that I've sort of, like, scrolled by. It's weird, though, because it's kind of like... You have, like, this list of films that you really want to watch, but then I'm never, like, in the mood to specifically sit down and watch it. Or circumstances. Circumstances haven't quite worked out. So I'll end up watching... I'll tell you what I watched the other week. I watched uh, Switch by Blake Edwards, starring uh, starring Ellen Barkin, Jimmy (laughs) Smits... Joe Beth Williams and Lorraine Bracco. Um, <laughs> what year is that? 
I think it was like 1991, 1990, right. 1991. Ellen Barkin was huge, right? Because mm. I watched, I was going through this Jack Nicholson phase, and I watched uh, Man Trouble, starring Ellen Barkin and Jack Nicholson. And it's got this really weird uh, poster where it sort of just feels like a very casual sort of publicity shot of them just sat next to each other with one of them photographer's backgrounds of just, like, abstract grey. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And it says Man Trouble, and you go, you've got a film called Man Trouble, <laughs> and it's got this big animated title sequence, and you think, well, there's obviously, like, there's been no... Obviously, they had, like, a poster that was absolutely fucking terrible, yeah. and then they went with something else. But Ellen Barkin's in that, and Ellen Barkin's in... Uh, weirdly, she's in this film uh, called Drop Dead Gorgeous, where she plays the mum of... Uh, uh, What's her name? Uh, she was the child actress. Oh, she was in uh, Spider-Man. Kirsten Dunst? Kirsten Dunst, yeah, right. So she plays Kirsten Dunst's mum. And I started watching it again last night because I'm, uh, I needed it for research. So I was sort of like... And I watched like 10 minutes and it's a completely different film. To Like the tone of it was different. It was made in like 1995 or 1996. And it's this documentary, you know, uh, mockumentary thing about... Um, uh, beauty pageants, is it? Oh. Beauty pageants, and it's kind of like, but it was made before The Office, which changed everything. So it's kind of weird, and I think it may have been even before or at the same time as Waiting for Guffman, which was Christopher Je uh, Christopher Guest's follow up to Spinal Tap was nineteen eighty one, and Waiting for Guffman was fifteen years later, so it's like oh. ninety six. So I guess it was about the same time as that. So it was kind of like this weird mockumentary that wasn't influenced by either Christopher Guest or The Office. <laughs> and you watch it, and I have very fond memories of it. I remember it being like a really great film, uh, really amazing female cast as well, and it's really sort of like dark and you know. Not, I wouldn't say edgy, but it's like it's a dark comedy. And I'm watching it, and it's kind of like, oh, my God, it's so broad. Like, the tone of it is really kind of like, oh, wow. And it's almost like they've made... It's a mockumentary, but there is, like, shots in it that could have just been from a film and stuff. So it's really weird. But anyway, so there's Ellen Barkin. It's kind of like, I remember Ellen Barkin from Drop Dead Gorgeous. And then I remember I watched Man Trouble, which isn't a great film. And then I ended up watching uh, Switch, which was like, I guess it was Ellen Barkin at the height of her fame doing a Blake Edwards body swap comedy where a male chauvinist pig gets murdered by uh, three women that he's wronged and is forced to come back by God, who is played by the voices of a man and a woman. Um, and... Uh, he comes back, this horrible man comes back in the body of uh, Ellen Barkin. And then it's Ellen Barkin, like, doing, like, a Tom Hanks, like, <laughs> you know, but she's pretending to be, like, this guy. Uh, we should play a song. <laughs> <laughs> we'll play a song and then we'll talk about other stuff. Nick Helm and Nathaniel Metcalf's fan club on FUBAR Radio. 
We're back, we're back, we're back, we're back. Sorry, Natalie. Very interesting. But we're back. Um, right, okay. So I ended up watching Switch, right? Uh-huh. Switch is a, is, a, is a poster. Seen that? It sort of rings a bell from like video shops or yeah, exactly. Sort of about it. Exactly, I saw it in video shops my whole life. It's basically it's Ellen Barkin in a shirt and tie, hanging off uh, the barrel of a gun. And actually, that poster alone makes me think of like Blake Edwards type comedies. So his his whole the sort of what would you call it? Almost the visual style of a Blake Edwards is enough that even a poster makes you go. Oh, it's like a Blake Edwards. So you think of like kind of broad, broad comedy and stuff. Did Blake Edwards mm. do? What did he do? The film with Goldie Horn and Chevy Chase. What was that? Is that Blake um, Edwards? I don't know. Dudley I'm not Moore. really. I'm not really into Blake Edwards as a rule. Um, not, not as a rule, but. Um, but okay, so. It was made in the early 90s, and it's this body swap comedy, and it's kind of like, they're quite liberal with, um, it's obviously like this stereotypes, and uh, yeah, it's kind of like, it's it's sort of a product of its time, but at the same time, it's sort of really progressive. And um, Ellen Barkin is fucking incredible in it. Like, she's just great. Now, I know that she's a big star, retrospectively, looking back on Ellen Barkin's mm. career and going, like, I remember what she looked like. Uh, I remember there were films. I never watched any of her films, and I think the only film that I really know her from is a supporting role in Drop Dead Gorgeous, right? So to go back and sort of like, well, I think it's quite exciting, really, to go back and sort of dis- discover there's this actress who made a whole ton of films that you really like, that you can go back on and go, it's like a treasure trove. And you go, I never, I heard of her. There were, I don't think there were really any films at the time that were aimed in my direction. So it was kind of like I easily, easily missable, maybe. But, um, yeah, I thought um, Man Trouble, not so good. But Switch was... Like, oddly, it's a bit of a weird one to sort of, like, just blanket recommend because the times have changed, guys. But um, it's, um, yeah, she like, in terms of performances, it's a, it's a really great performance. Uh, and she's really funny in it. And it's sort of like, um, what you call it, ego, well, egoless, but, like, vanity-free. And then... Um, so I yeah I would recommend that to you to see what you I I put like in terms of Blake Edwards, I mean, it's it, for, as a child, he made the Pink Panther films which always started with an animated sequence and to be honest, I much preferred the cartoon Pink Panther series. Yeah, I used to watch the Pink Panther films as a kid, wanting them to be a cartoons. They would always end with the. Uh, the, uh, you'd see a bit of the, the cartoon Pink Panther, and sometimes it would be in a kind of animated sequence at the start. But I think as a That's little it. kid, I only... I don't think I even realised that they were meant to be funny. I think I was just like... And then it just becomes, like, live-action and not-interesting, boring. boring film. 
yeah, boring. Uh, <laughs> and there's so many of them. Oh, yeah, I, I never really... Um, but they're sort of like his like broadest, most... And then he made stuff like 10. Mm. And what's the Julie Andrews one? Is it Victor and Victoria? That's it. I was just trying to think of that. I think, so he, 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 I think he was seen as making quite kind of... Sort of quite middle class, quite... Uh, classy comedies, I think. And especially in sort of like starting in the 60s when they were quite sort of aspirational, I guess, comedies with rich people, I guess is right. what, what kind of what I think of him as doing. And they, he well, sort of fits into that world a bit. That's and sort quite, of what 10 is, isn't it? 10 is kind of like you got Rich Dudley Moore who's on a Malibu beach and he bumps into Rich Bo Derek. And it's all about like. Also, they were sort of sex comedies, weren't they? So mm. I was, a, I, I, not, not only was I too young, I, they made me feel deeply uncomfortable. Um, can we get Blake Edwards's um, list? A breakfast at Tiffany? What are you talking about? Breakfast? That wasn't Blake Edwards, was it? Breakfast oh, no, I think it Tiffany's. is. Think it is. Yeah, think it is. Fucking so I guess hell. that's yeah. That's I guess we, that's a good example of it, where you think that's a kind of yeah, quite a classy uh, uh, comedy. And I guess, because I think throughout the 60s, I guess, he would have been, like, one of the top directors. And I guess that continued kind of into the 80s. He probably had a full-on career. But, again, he's not someone I've particularly followed. But, like, it is interesting to look at what he must have done. Yeah. So, he did... I mean, I'm going through his list and there's, like... These uh, ones he's written, isn't he? So, it looks like he's... I don't know any of these. Operation Petticoat, he directed. Okay. Breakfast at Tiffany's. Experiment in Terror. Days of Wine and Roses. And then he did Pink Panther in 63. 63 is really early, isn't it? Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, and then Shot in the Dark. Uh, what did you do in the war, Daddy? Okay, right. This is just a list of Blake Edwards stuff. The Party. That's what he did. The Party. Which what rein, reignited his professional relationship with um, Peter Sellers. Peter Sellers. Um, Return of the Pink Panther, Pink Panther, Revenge of the Pink Panther, 10. SOB, heard of. Victor Victoria, seen. Train of the Pink Panther, who knows. Curse of the Pink Panther, don't know. The Man Who Loved Women, no idea. City Heat, which one's City Heat? Yeah. Is that the one with Burt Reynolds and Clint Eastwood? Oh, it might be. Maybe that's City Heat. That seems like a weird one for... Yes. Oh, he wrote it. He wrote that. Mickey and Maud. That was Dudley Moore, wasn't it? And, um... Fine mess. Yeah. Blind Date, of course, with Bruce Willis and Kim Basinger. Sunset, which had Bruce Willis in it as well, didn't it? Skin Deep. Which one was Skin Deep? That was the one with John Ritter. Uh... And switch. 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 There you go. Then switch. 1991. I got it. Son of the Pink Panther with Roberto Benigni. And then, uh, God, that was his last film. Yeah. So uh, I guess that's the Pink Panther. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. Anyway, so I, I hadn't. But then the other films that I'd seen, I saw When Jeff Tried to Save the World, starring John Hedder, which is this weird film about this guy at Bowling Alley. Uh, it's about a guy with depression who works at a bowling alley. And there's something about it that doesn't quite work, and you're watching it, and you're kind of like, 
there's nothing happening and that's what's going on and then when you look it up you realize it's a feature that was based on a short film and you instantly go yeah that that's a that's a short film yeah that uh, they've expanded but so i've done a couple of short films and like part of the thing is how do you turn it into a feature film and so one of my short films was elephant that I made with uh, Esther Smith. And um, uh, so I, we wanted to expand that. So, so what do you, but we were getting older as well. And also the film is sort of like this perfect 10 minute film, but it was always envisioned as a series or a feature or something else that was bigger than the 10 minutes. The 10 minutes was really just a taster. And so when I made the short film, it was sort of like, how do you convey what you want a film to be like? Do you try and sort of like do like a scene or... So what I did was I tried to sort of like go, the film will feel like this. This will be like a beginning, a middle and end. This is how emotionally you're going to feel when you watch the film. And this is 10 minutes. But plot-wise, it'll be a bit different. And then the same with Killer Machine. But the Killer Machine was reversed. Killer Machine was literally, have you got any ideas for a short? And then I, d- I wrote the Killer Machine. I didn't direct that. And, um, and then it went so well. I had so much leftover material that I was like, this could be... This could be expanded in something else. And so that is a case of kind of like taking the short and using it as a jumping off point as like this could kind of like be the first 10 minutes of the film and then what happens next. And with Elephant, it's kind of like if we did a feature, it would probably be like a sequel to the 10 minutes because we're all older. And the 10 minutes is like, you know, like how Wes Anderson did like that 10-minute short at the beginning of Darjeeling. Yes, exactly, yeah. And so it's like a companion piece where you don't remake it because how can you remake it? I know that when we did we did Uncle on BBC Three, you know, we did Uncle on Channel Four for the pilot and then we remade it for BBC Three and there were some bits that worked out better and some bits that didn't work out as well. And I just think that the 10 minutes got, you know, I've mentioned it already in this episode, but the 10 minutes got BAFTA nominated, and I think it's as perfect as I could have made it at the time. Why would you go back and tear that apart in order to just expand it? You could... You, I mean, Elephant is set in the afternoon, in an afternoon, uh, with this, with these two friends that don't realise they're in love with each other, right? And so you could expand that by just, like, making the afternoon really long. But I think what's good about it is it's 10 minutes and it feels like <laughs> it feels long. It feels like there's a passage of time, even though it's only 10 minutes. So I think that if you're going to do something else with it, you you know, you would take that as a jumping off point and do something else with it. I haven't seen this short of when Jeff tried to save the world. But um, and it also, weirdly, I, I watched this TV show called Pen15. And I was watching when Jeff tried to save the world, and it's got like some of the same cast in it. And you're kind of like, oh, is that based on that? But it was like this short film, and I just think that it feels like I haven't seen the short, but it feels like they've expanded it, and they haven't really had like a lot of other. I don't know. It's interesting, but it's kind oh. of like it's not necessarily. And then I watched this other film, 
because that feels very much like that could have been i don't know when it was made but that could have been made in lockdown um i did someone else i'm just i'm just listing what i've seen i've hardly seen anything this week although i have seen enough well that's kind of interesting what you're saying before when we watched thunder road and then that's a feature film we found out, oh, it's based on a short. And as soon as you hear exactly. it's based on a short, you go, oh, that's the first 10 minutes. And you sort of know it is in hindsight. But what that film does, it has the first 10 minutes and then goes, right, then what happens? And then you get a feature film, which is what happened next. Yeah, and it's great. Mm. Um, yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about, where it's kind of like you use the short. But then, then I think there's some bits in the short, for instance, in the short... He had the rights to the song Thunder Road, right? Hmm. And in the film, he doesn't have the rights to Thunder Road, so he's fucking around with his um, hi-fi system and the batteries fall out and he can't fix it and all of this. And you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it very much does feel like they're sort of stalling because they haven't got the rights for the, for the song. A little bit, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Especially once you've seen the short and you're going, okay... So, and I don't think, I think Thunder Road is an absolutely amazing film, but watching it from a technical point of view, from the point of view of, you know, filmmaking, you kind of like go, oh, all right, there's something like, there's, mm. that's what, one of the things they had to throw in there to sort of yeah. get around some legal issues. But I also think that's one of the nice things about it, because it's someone dealing with essentially problem solving, isn't it? It's like problem solving live. So you're watching yeah. a thing going, okay, we love that short. What can you do with it? Well, I could yeah. extend it. So that's what it is. Oh, we haven't got the song. Therefore, I'll... it's problem solving, and you just make a thing out of yeah. what you and have to do to. But the funeral could have been the finale. The funeral could have come in the middle. It yeah, could have. Been, you know, he could have written like a whole bit that led up to it. But you've mm. seen it. Is the thing. Yeah. You th like, um, I think that it's it's sort of like an Easter egg for like if you've seen the short then by all means, tip your hat to it. And, and, and um, in that case, remake it. But, if you, uh, but is there a way of kind of like doing it as kind of like a sequel? I don't know. But in terms of kind of like um, shortcuts and stuff like that, I mean, there was, when we did Killing Machine, I had all of these... <coughs> had all these pretty woman, not loads, but there was like these pretty woman jokes in it where yeah, yeah. I thought it was funny that his favourite film would be, he hasn't seen, you know, the, the boxing trainer hasn't seen Rocky, but he has seen Pretty Woman. Yeah. Um, and, um, and I'm also paying him for his time. So there's kind of like that element to it. But then there's also the bit where he... Uh, in my, in my, which talk, he gives me a new set of boxing gloves, and he opens them up, just like Richard Gere opens up the necklace in Pretty Woman, and uh, I put my hand in, and he snaps it shut, and that's like one of the famous bits from Pretty Woman, where Julie Roberts wasn't very well that day, and Richard Gere just did that to like cheer her up a bit while they were shooting, and it made it into the film, and it's like one of the most famous bits in Pretty Woman. So we did that, but, and Sarah Pascoe came up, because she did a short film as well, and we were all at the same screening when they first got screened, and Sarah Pascoe came up to me afterwards, and she said, um, that, was the, that was the perfect bit to choose, 
because it's not so obvious like the uh, bit when he goes she goes back in the dress shop and says you know huge mistake huge you know but that was the original bit that I was going to use where I sign up for a gym membership um, and then uh, I get turned turned down for some reason which is sort of unheard of um, and then later on I'm being trained and my trainer comes in and he confronts them and he says did you turn him away and they say yeah and he goes huge mistake huge right and that was the bit we did but we didn't have enough time to film at another gym so I changed it and I just said to the art department can you like put together like a gift box and some and that's and then we changed it to that and it's better for it and it's really exciting when you're kind of like making um uh when you're fixing stuff and you're kind of like um uh what did you, how did you describe it like problem solving it's like yeah, problem, problem solving. solving yeah you can't do this and now you have to do this and i think that 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 element to it is really exciting and also with elephant we spent an entire day um me esther laurie rose who was the dap we spent uh, and uh uh, Alex Moody, who produced it, and we spent an entire day just going all over Brighton, looking for all the locations that we needed. And there was like a tea shop there, and a um, a, a bric-a-brac shop over there. And there was like a, we needed a, a, a shop window with a cake in there. You know, it was all written. We needed all these things that were all over town, and then everyone left except for me, Esther, and Laurie, and we were at the seafront where the benches are that we filmed and then it was like if we walk straight up from the seafront from these benches what do we see and so we just walked straight up and we found everything that we needed on one street and it was originally meant to end on the pier but if you actually followed that walk where we went it started at a tea shop no it started as a cake shop it had a blue plaque it had a snoopers paradise and then it had a coffee shop and then it had a sign of a bike above a car which was scripted and then it was um uh, and then it was the cinema and it was all the stuff that we needed for the script that we had written as it was written and it was just you know we wasted if you looked at my steps that day on my phone there was this huge spike where we'd walked like a hundred thousand <laughs> steps we walked all over brighton well i mean literally we walked all over brighton and then right at the end like from in the morning onwards and then right at the end of the day we just found everything that we needed in one we walked from the coast to the station and we found everything that we needed and then i said what if we turn around and walk the other way and we walked back down towards the coast. And in reverse, we had everything that we needed again. There was, a, there was a cake shop and a tea shop at both ends of that walk. And so it was just... Every, so I just think that, you know, uh, this is all like independent filmmaking, what that, that Thunder Road is and um, Time Jeff Tried to Save the World. And it's kind of like, you know, I guess a lot of filmmaking is like that. But when you don't have money and you don't have a lot of time... You have to sort of like think about these things, and it was yeah, it was really fun. It was fun, is the main thing, and then they turned out, and then on top of that, they turned out good. So, yeah. Anyway, we should do. Sorry, I've just talked about 
But, you know, it was that or get into a bunch of films that I hated. And <laughs> that's not a fan club. That's not a fan club. That's the opposite of fan club. Uh, Liam Naff. <laughs> so. You do some fan mail? Yes. Okay. Brian about? Let's see if Brian's about. Hey, afternoon. How was everyone's week? I enjoyed watching Nick's online special. Would you guys ever consider a live show online or in person? Did you bother with the Oscars this year? What are your thoughts? If you discussed this already, I understand. <laughs> Will you be at the cinema on the first day it opens while you're waiting for a certain film? Um, uh, right, sort of covered a lot of that. Covered a lot of this already. Um, I'm not waiting for... I don't know what's coming out, and I'm, I'm not going to... No, I'm, I'm I not probably be will be, because I work in a cinema, so I probably will be in a cinema on the day it opens, I imagine. Um... But um, am I waiting for a certain film? What's coming out that I'm kind of keen on? I think there are a couple of things in the offing. What were they? There are a couple of things I think that aren't coming out straight away. Uh, I have a feeling that it might be starting with Mortal Kombat might be the first film they're releasing in cinemas, but I'm not 100% sure. So that's is it. That I guess I'm not informed enough to know exactly what is coming out at the cinema. Is that the top of your list, Mortal Kombat? No, not at all. I think that might be what cinemas might be opening with. But that's it. That's how ill-informed I am now. I don't know what will be... Like, last year, we all knew that Tenet was coming out when the cinemas opened. Right. But this year feels a bit more like, not really sure what's coming out. Top I Gun? Mortal Kombat, is it? I think Mortal Kombat... Oh, fucking hell, Top Gun, yeah. I, I think Mortal Kombat's been delayed as well a little bit, but... Um... I don't know. I honestly don't know. Like Top Gun, I've forgotten Top Gun was coming out. Bond, when's Bond coming out? Is that? Is that I think now? that might even be like the autumn now, yeah. Fucking hell, the autumn? <laughs> <laughs> That's you know like what? two years. That's been delayed two years yeah, now. Yeah, um, I'm, um, June, oh, June 4th of June is A Quiet Place too. I'd like to see that. I really, I'm uh, new to A Quiet Place, saw it. A few months ago, as I say, just following my muse, saw it and I loved it. I was really impressed with it. So I'll be up for seeing the sequel. I would see the yeah. I mean, I would see the sequel, but I saw the I saw the original on uh, was it on Netflix or was it on whatever? Maybe uh, I saw it on TV, like on my TV. So I just I don't know. I'm not like I don't feel like I have to see that at the cinema at this point. Um. But I don't know. I mean, I've, oh, well, when's Suicide Squad coming out? The Suicide Squad. Yeah, it must be summer. So I guess, I guess it's nearly summer. So we've probably got all those to come out. But they're talking about Indiana Jones 5 being released next year. And you kind of like go, really? I guess so. I mean, you've started yeah. talking about, okay. But it's weird. I think it's <laughs> weird to say, I don't know. Anyway, oh, Jurassic Park. I'm desperate to see the new Jurassic Park. Am I desperate to see the new Jurassic Park? No. I'm vaguely interested in it. I enjoyed the last <laughs> one. There's not one Jurassic Park sequel that I love. Um, 30th of July is Suicide Squad. So soon? I guess they have been making it for fucking ages. I don't know. Well, thank um, you, Frank. I think we've covered all your other points. We've talked about the Oscars. We've talked about Nick's uh, we'd, online special. We'd do a live, we'd do a live one, wouldn't we? But um, Yeah, happily. In Malta. We'd do it in Malta. Um, hi, thanks, Frank. Hi, Nick and Nat. I recently watched Kapoor, and I think it's unwatchable. Tom Hardy is so stereotypical, and his acting is pretty bad anyway. It's a shame, because I like Tom Hardy, in general. It's more Tom Jones this week. 
<laughs> Sorry about that. That's all right, Brian. I think it was a shameful miscast. What do you think? Thanks, Terry. I, I think it was. I think it's a low-budget film that got Tom Hardy to be the lead, and that's how it got made. I don't know. I haven't seen it. But, no, I haven't um, seen it. It doesn't strike me as someone who would be terribly miscast as Capone. Now, I guess yeah. I think if he was kind of a small guy, I think maybe. Have you ever seen Locke? No, not seen it. Oh man, you've got to see Locke. Fucking hell, it's a, a crazy film. It's a film. It's a film where Tom Hardy He's does a Welsh phone, accent. He does a Welsh accent for the entire film. He doesn't need to be Welsh, but he does a Welsh accent, and he's the whole film is set in his car while he's talking on his phone, instructing people uh, how to pour cement while he's not on the job, and he's and like it's incredible because it works. It just about works as a thriller, and it's literally the stakes are if you pour the concrete if you pour the cement too quickly it will it it won't set right and it will be a waste of money and it's like it's the whole film is set in the car and you kind of like go it's got to be more than that i reckon the filmmakers went what's the most boring thing in the world watching paint dry well how about we make a film where it's about cement drying yeah a little bit more exciting than paint maybe <laughs> but we'll make a film about the most boring thing in the world we'll try and, and we'll make, try and make it yeah, and it works. It's like it's it's this great film. Um, uh, I, I, see, the thing is, my mouse keeps switching off, and connection lost. Connection. I can't scroll down to see what the message is. I'm assuming it's that our guest is in the thing, but I can't scroll. Uh, no, no, that right was here. about Suicide Squad, the last one. So, um, got one more. Can you see that? One more? Okay. Do you think that I've recently watched Black Swan, and although everyone says that it's an amazing film, I think it's quite bait. That's a negative. I think it's quite bait. Quite bait. Maybe I guess the whole storyline. Whole storyline is very predictable, in my opinion. If we had to play better or worse, I would say that you are better than Natalie Portman. As I give her three stars. What do you think, Helen? I haven't seen Black Swan in ages, but I'm mm. not sure if it's the story that you're meant to be hooked on or the general vibe. But I enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I think of it as a good film. Um, but it's nice that we've been better or worse as being better than Natalie Portman. That's a nice... Uh, thank you, Helen, for that. Thank you. Thank you. That's nice. That, I mean, that combined we're better than Natalie Portman. Right, we've got a oh, guest coming on now, and so she has picked now, a song. Now we're now we're gonna yeah, we've got our guest. We've got a guest coming up in the second half of today's show, and uh, to introduce her, we're playing her favourite song of all time ever. It is, of course, "Dancing in the Moonlight" by <laughs> Top Loader. Yeah, let's go. And the Daniel Metcalf fan club on Fubar Radio. And we're back. We're back live. We're not live. We're pre-recorded uh, and in the studio. We're not in the studio. I'm in my spare room. <laughs> Feels like I stepped down. And Nat is in his washroom. And we're joined now uh, by star of Army of the Dead, uh, 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 Samantha Wynn. Um, hello, Samantha. How are you doing? I'm good, and I'm in my dining room. So. You're in your dining room? 
Uh, you are, but you seem to have absolutely nailed uh, your uh, Zoom background. Oh, thank you so much. I cleaned like one corner of my place for events like this, <laughs> but the rest is a total mess. So it's okay. It's pandemic life. No, it looks really good. I mean, I'm I'm trying, but um, every time I do anything in the background, it sort of like makes the whole thing look. I just haven't nailed it yet. I've had a year. You've you've really smashed it. Um, you are the uh, you're one of the stars of the new Zack Snyder film that's coming out on Netflix on twenty uh, first of May, uh, Army of the Dead. Um, that's incredibly exciting, right? Oh yeah, I'm I'm pretty over the moon about it. I did get to see it, so now I'm like extra excited because I want the world to now see it. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, so you were you've worked with Zack Snyder since uh, all the way back on uh, Sucker Punch, right? Yes, that's right. I started out as a stunt double, and uh, slowly it was uh, bigger and bigger parts as I went along. And this is my first time in a, a lead role position in one of his films, so it was. A brand new experience for me, and I think that's why I'm like shaking in my seat before the release date. <laughs> but you're also um, in uh, Justice League, aren't you? Yes, yes, I play one of the Amazonians. Um, now that's number one in the British charts at the moment, um, and uh, I watched it a couple of weeks ago, and I absolutely loved it. Um, am I right in thinking that? Um, because I watched it a couple of weeks ago. Uh, you are part of the uh, horse chase sequence where you're you're riding away from Steppenwolf when he's destroying the Amazonian kind of like um, temple. Yes, that's right. So I, I lead the the horses up for the queen, and then we take off together. And I, I jump and I grab the arrow with the mother box, and then we're riding back to back, and then ultimately my demise is under a horse. So I am the horse Amazonian, is what I'm being yeah. told. <laughs> so you, you, get crushed by, you get crushed by the horse, right? Um, yeah, people, are I, so people are trolling me you... in the comments saying, uh, don't ride a horse in Army of the Dead. And I'm like, oh, man, it's going to follow me. <laughs> yeah, but you just take that as a compliment, as, uh, as uh, incredibly good acting. Um, when you compare... Um, as, when you compare the fact that... So, Justice League came out in 2017, mm -hmm. and then uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League came out this year. Um, when, when you watch the two back-to-back, -back, which I did, um, when you watch the two back-to-back, -back, that is one of the first sequences that really stands out as, oh, this is infinitely better now that it's gone back to how it was originally envisioned. You know, that's like one of the standout sequences. How did you how did you feel when you kind of like uh, watched Zack Snyder's version back? Um, it's it's funny because I almost forgot how much I was missing in the theatrical release version. But when I was watching Zack's version, I, I I felt more connected, and I wasn't exactly sure why because it's hard to remember which pieces we shot that didn't make it versus what did and what cut. Uh, I was just more emotionally involved. And when I went back and I, I saw really how much more footage had had made Zach's cut, I think it just connects the Amazonians to the queen in a stronger fashion. Anytime you get to spend more time with the women, more time seeing on the queen's face the impact of each Amazonian's death and it, each 
thing that happens in, in the order that it happens, you see it weighing on the queen more and more. So by the time it gets to the end of the sequence, I think people are much more emotionally involved and, and left with a, a deeper scar, if I will. It was great. But also during that sequence is the bit when uh, Steppenwolf actually picks up a horse. And I, even though I was in my living room watching it on my TV, it was still one of those moments where you go, oh my God, he picked up a horse. Um, I thought it was incredible. Yeah, I think my favourite was when he, he flexed and broke all the arrows on him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's it like was, that's a pretty bold move. It was so good. I mean, it must feel it must feel kind of um, uh, you must feel good that um, you know that because uh, things get cut out of films in the edit all the time and kind of like you film stuff and it doesn't quite work out. But then to have something that's obviously where the, I mean the two versions are completely different. So to have something that's kind of like very truncated and short and is kind of like um, uh, and then this happened and then. But with the Zack Snyder version, it actually takes time to tell this this whole that whole sequence is an entire story with a beginning. It's an action sequence without much dialogue, and there's like a beginning, a middle, an end. And it's really you get really involved in it. It must feel kind of like um, uh, really um, good to see it put back into the film the way it was intended. I think the best feeling part of it all is. It's kind of like things that have been happening all year long. It, it feels like finally the power of the people is like we're we're starting to see little little influences. And I feel like release the Snyder cut and that movement was an example of like when enough people come together, we we can make something happen. And that was such a good feeling that it never happened before. It's an unprecedented thing for a studio to re-release an entirely different version and. Uh, and uh, invest millions more dollars into finishing it. But, you know, the people wanted it and they spoke up enough and we actually got it. <laughs> it blew all of our minds and, and that's like the most heartfelt part of it for me. Did you have to go back and do any reshoots for it? Um, I, I personally did not. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I heard that there were, I think, I think it was just one scene that was shot because it was a pandemic. But mm -hmm. I don't know. That's that's what I was reading, so I, I have just as much information as you guys on that. <laughs> and was there was there a screening, or did you get kind of like a link to watch it on your computer, or what? Um, I personally didn't. I wasn't one of the leads in that film, so I, I imagine I was a little farther down on that list. But also, even for Army of the Dead, screenings have all been digitally because of the pandemic. So uh, I imagine. I imagine screenings were might have been a no-go at that time. Where are you currently in this pandemic? Um, I am in Los Angeles, and it looks like we're doing well. I think I read online that our, our rates are the lowest in the nation right now in L.A. So uh, things are reopening, and I hear yesterday our president said that we don't have to wear a mask if we're outdoors in a non-crowded area. And so uh, people are breathing in the air again today. It's a good feeling. Okay. Well, it looks like it's going the right way here as well. So we've got cinemas again opening next yeah. month in May. So we should start okay. to see yeah. things coming back, hopefully. Um, so, well, so how, with Zack Snyder, has he been, how do you see him? Is he like a sort of mentor, guardian angel type person in your life? You seem to have worked with him a lot and 
and and taking you from someone who's like a stunt performer when you first worked with him to being kind of front and center playing one of the leads in like this big new movie yeah my my vision or how i see zach in my head has definitely evolved through the years when i was a stunt double i didn't have as much interaction with him so he was like this mystical super idol who was a, a visionary and I was so intimidated and scared even though he was so nice and friendly I just had so much respect for him that I was so shy around him and then as as the films progressed of course um, I, I started to see him as more of a, a mentor and I hope it's not weird for him like a father figure <laughs> I've never said that to his face but I'm, I'm sure he knows <laughs> and I'm sure Debbie knows that I very much see them as like kind of parents of the set. I think a lot of people feel that way. They run a very family dynamic kind of set. And so everyone feels uh, like truly cared for. And so they're very much parent figures on set. And I love and respect them as that. Uh, and all of their, their kids as well. You see a lot of their children uh, helping out on set and, and coming up in different departments and putting in the work. So it's really a beautiful thing. So now um, I just have so much love and respect for that whole family. It's grown to be a, a very deep part of me. I went from being terrified of them to now I would die for them. <laughs> <laughs> but presumably he's, he's also seen something in you and you've, you've been brought forward and given, I guess, larger and larger parts in, in movies and even things like the 300 sequel you're in, which he's involved in. So it's obviously that he's coming back to you time and time again and perhaps looking for parts that you can be in and things that where you'd fit in and to the point where now you're you know one of the leads in this this movie which I, it, from what i see of it, it does seem to be like a, a kind of real ensemble piece right yes yes definitely an ensemble piece it, it, i do feel like every character has their thing and their moments and oh we all got along so well it made for a good experience but but yeah I, I can't speak for Zach presumably so I've I've gotten to work for him a few times now so I I'll read positively into that but I, I don't want to take it for granted because I know I know how lucky and grateful I am to be able to work for him he's a fantastic person on set and I think you know the energy starts from the top down and I think anyone who's worked with him will say that they would work with him over and over and over again because it's just a, a good experience hmm. and this film as well so army of the dead isn't quite a sequel to his dawn of the dead but is it is it connected at all is there any kind of connection to the first one uh no no it's not it's not connected to the film and i have seen him say that in interviews before so i can i can say that pretty positively now i think because it's a zombie genre film of the dead hmm makes sense and in this case it happens to be an army but um nope they're not related okay you know, I, I wish i had more more for you there <laughs> no that's fine <laughs> um can you tell us a little bit about how the film came together um well i guess that would be on zach how it all came together i hear that it was first written like 10 years ago or something and it had a different director attached but this time around, it seemed to happen pretty quickly, it seems. I, I wasn't really aware that it was happening until I started seeing through the casting networks that this project was going. And I was incredibly happy for him because I, I know that Justice League was a, you know, a lot to deal with in many different ways for him. And 
after seeing the breakdown for Army of the Dead, you know, a heist action thriller with zombies starring Dave Bautista set in Las Vegas. I'm like, this is just going to be a, a fun <laughs> movie. I'm like, this is going to be a fun time, a fun experience. It's going to make everyone smile. And uh, so for me, I, I read about it and then slowly started to hear more from them afterwards. But uh, yeah. <laughs> so how did you know you were casting it? When did that happen? Was that a process of auditioning or was it something where early on you were given a tip like oh maybe there's something for you in an, in my next movie or how did that come about um it was a bit of an interesting experience for me because I, I think some people might assume that it's you know he just calls or has something for me always but I'm never really a part of those conversations I don't really know I just kind of hope that perhaps if I did well enough on the previous film, maybe there'd be a spot for me in this one. But when I went, read the breakdown and I saw zombies in Las Vegas and Dave Bautista, and I was like, I, I can't, I can't just sit and wait and bank on the fact that maybe there will be something. So I, I mustered up all the courage I had and I took three days like calling friends to be like, should I, should I ask if I can audition? Would that be overstepping? Do you think he would think that I take our friendship for granted? Do you think he'd think I, I was entitled? I went over all of these like fears and insecurities about it until I was like, shut up, Sam. It's okay. You can ask to audition. And so that was a scenario where I, I, I texted Zach and I asked if it would be okay if I got to audition for one of the acting roles as opposed to stunt roles. And he, he let me do it and I put everything I had into the audition. And, and then I heard that I, I had got it. It was a pretty, pretty quick casting process. Hmm. Mm -hmm. I think there's always something nice though. When you think of like directors, when you look back on a director's career, I always mm -hmm. think it's nice when you see them working with the same people and it makes you think of like theatrical troops and actors that sort of appear and play different parts in yeah. like, and you'd get that a lot in, you know, John Ford Westerns and things where it's like, oh, now this person's playing this character and this person's playing this type of character. And it feels like, it almost feels like kind of, um, almost like, a, yeah, like a theatre that use the same cast to just put mm -hmm. on different productions all the time it has that sort of feel about it i think there's something always yeah I, I always enjoy seeing the same actors in you know like the cohen brothers use a lot of the same actors yeah. it becomes and, almost a fun fact because when you know that a certain person is directing or a certain person is involved you know that certain other people will probably be and so you you wait and you try to spot them in the films kind of like you see Seth Rogen's films i feel like yes, he has yeah yeah that like to appear in each other's films and i, I always yeah, I, I really appreciate it too. And I also um, did a little bit of stage work myself and I love theater and plays and that, that family environment. So it's uh, one that I thrive in. I adore it. Yeah, I always... Yeah. Had, you, uh, had you finished filming before the pandemic? Uh, like, did I finish filming? Had you, had you finished filming before the oh. pandemic hit? Yeah, I finished uh, the October... October prior to the pandemic, I believe. I, I've lost track of time completely. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Like, is that 2019? Yeah, I think in, in mm -hmm. October 2019 is when I finished, and then a few months later is when the pandemic hit. Because when you say, when you say 2019, you then have to realise that it's 2021, and then <laughs> it's it, it, I can't account for 2020 at all. Yeah. 
me neither. Like, I, I genuinely don't know what I did other than <laughs> <laughs> sit at home and go on the internet, <laughs> watch Netflix. <laughs> yeah. So this film's so, had a long post-production period then. It's had, so it's, it will almost be a year and a half from the end of filming till being released. Yeah. You know, it, it seems... I, I get so jealous when I see other people work in films and then their movie is out like nine months later. I've never had that experience. I guess I'm, I'm grateful because that means I've worked on a lot of larger scale projects with a lot of visual effects involved. But I was hoping maybe that this one would be different. Maybe it, we'd get it quicker because it was a little bit smaller than Justice League or say Man of Steel. But uh, no, it was also a long period. And so I am like sitting on the edge of my seat, waiting and waiting and waiting. But uh, I, I think the payoff is very worth it. And it's still a smaller wait than uh, seeing Zack Snyder's Justice League come out, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that one took, what, four four years? Four <laughs> oh, years. So, but it was worth it. It was it worth was, the wait. Yeah. Um, let's talk about some of... Uh, this show is called Fan Club, where we get people... Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you a little secret, is that the idea is that people come on and they tell us what their favourite things are, but we hardly ever get round to it. But we have been instructed to kind of like insert a little bit more of, um, uh, well, the reason why we got us to do the show in the first place into it. So we're going to, um, let's go through some of uh, your favourite films. Now that you are a film star, uh, let's go and have a look at some of the f films that you enjoy watching. Oh, um, no, so, Uh-oh. No. <laughs> So we've got a list of, of what your films are, but it's probably better for you to tell us so that we can be like, oh, you know, we can be kind of like surprised by uh, <laughs> your, your choices. Otherwise, we're just telling you what your favourite films are. So what are your favourite films? Okay, I have to pull it up. Oh, no. <laughs> I don't remember. I fluctuate every day. Okay. So <laughs> okay, right. We've got some uh, kinks in this that we've got to kind of iron out. Fine, brilliant. <laughs> you can tell films... me what, what are they. I'll tell you what I love about them. <laughs> okay, so the first one you've given us is the quiet A Quiet Place. Oh, yeah. I, I love that because I, I'm a true fan of cinema, and I feel like that is one film that truly capitalizes on the idea of a theater and seeing it with a group of people in a pitch black room with super loud sound mixing and it it is just a, a very theater experience so I, I absolutely so we were just we were just talking about that weren't we so i missed out on that experience because i watched it yeah. i can't remember where i watched it but i either watched it on netflix or i watched it on whatever it was on my TV. So I missed out on that. But it was only recently that I heard, um, I can't remember who was talking about it, but they were talking about like screenings of A Quiet Place. People would be basically sat in absolute silence and monitoring on whether anyone made a noise in the cinema. Yeah, it's like if you had popcorn, you just knew that you couldn't eat it. <laughs> so you'd see people holding popcorn, but it was way too loud and distracting to actually eat it so they respected the film and they would like wait and i thought that was so neat that a film could actually do that to a person it could make you uh, listen so intently that 
you couldn't make any other noise, and, and it seemed to be the consensus in the entire room. Well, similarly, to the, I, I saw it um, recently just on TV, mm-hmm. and I hadn't avoided seeing it, but when I, it really struck me that I really loved it, and it was that it almost feels like it feels like a modern movie, but it's, it's virtually a silent film. There's so little dialogue. You know exactly what's going on. You know what all the characters are thinking, and none of it's done through dialogue. And I thought it was such a clever piece of filmmaking. And it's funny when you're saying it's like saying it's pure cinema and thinking of the theatrical experience. But I was thinking of it almost that what I was watching was entirely visual, and there wasn't it wasn't using dialogue to do that. And yeah. I think. It was almost the lack of sound that made you listen more is what I what I felt when I was in the theatre. Well, like, um, did you see Invisible, The Invisible Man? I did. The, the, rec- the recent one. Yeah, the recent one. Yeah. And that was kind of interesting because um, there'll be nothing happening mm-hmm. and there'll be maybe someone at the left-hand side of the screen. And even though it's a blank wall, you spend the whole film just staring at the right-hand side of the screen because you're waiting for something to happen. Even though, do you know what I mean? Even though um, it's this film about an invisible man that's going around doing stuff, it's kind of using uh, the lack of something to kind of really, uh, uh, really, really hone you in. Um, they really I, know how to manipulate your attention in a way where you're like, "Damn, you got me." <laughs> so but it's, it, but it's, it's it's such a clever technique where they're not doing something, and it makes you, you know it 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 makes you pay more attention. Mm-hmm. Um, it's weird. I mean, I um, I I miss going to the cinema, um, mm-hmm. and the the fact that the fact that the Quiet Place. I didn't realise, I mean, I really enjoyed it. I didn't realise that there was, like, that interactive element to it, that if you saw it with other people, kind of like you were all, you all went through a thing. Yeah, I think that's why it topped my list recently, because I've been missing the movie theatre so much. And we've heard here in L.A. that Arclight Theatres is closing, and I feel like that's very beloved in this city. So uh, it's just been on my mind so much about the movie theatre experience. So I feel like this is the time to push push movies where it's very worth it to see in the theaters and like encourage people to get back out there hmm. in a safe way when, when we're allowed. <laughs> and we were talking about this earlier as well, because it almost felt mm-hmm. that for us as people, we're both big sort of movie fans that I actually mm-hmm. felt a bit separate from hearing things like the Oscar results. Cause I kept thinking a lot of those movies haven't made it over here. Cause we haven't seen those films and just the sort of dialogue and talk about movies feels like, you're hearing about these things that have won and nominated and they mm-hmm. don't mean anything. I don't have that association because I haven't seen a lot of those films. Yeah, it's it's a, a really different experience when you watch it by yourself at home and you can't really gauge the emotions or like you don't have a pulse on how other people are feeling too. Uh, so it's hard to form, I guess, really strong opinions without having those interactions with people. Um, and if you're not seeing them in person to be able to discuss it or seeing them on a regular basis, and we've all been, you know, a little bit more isolated this year, uh, it's just, a, like you said, a, a disconnection. And I, I felt it too. I, I, For the first year in a long time, I feel behind on watching a lot of the nominated films. And I'm like, why is this? They're all on my TV and I, I have the time, but there's 
I just want the experience of it. I want to make it a deal. I want to kind of respect the film and like mm. make it an event, but it can't really be an event. So I just keep putting it off. Yeah, because you could watch everything back to back over one weekend, you know, but but then you begin to hate the process of doing it. <laughs> um, but also, I mean, going back to Justice League, that was one of the things about Justice League was I've seen so much on my TV in my living room. You know, part of the treat of going to the cinema is getting out of your house. And I've seen so much in that room. And one of the things that affected me so much about Justice League was like... Um, how much I was completely invested in it and how much I felt like, uh, even with the different uh, aspect ratio, it kind of, um, it still felt like a cinematic experience, even though I was watching it in my living room, which a lot of other things haven't translated to. Um, but yeah, I'm behind on everything. But also what I find is that um, I'm not just behind on seeing stuff in the cinema with other people, but I'm behind on even reading reviews or hearing what people think about stuff online which in a which in a way is quite a good thing because it's almost like the first time that I've ever been able to actually have my own opinions that are just pure you know yeah that that is definitely the upside of it I had an embarrassing moment with that yesterday oh my god I was uh I was doing an interview and one of the questions was how I felt about the Oscars and in my mind, all I had heard about them, because I, I didn't actually watch it this year, I feel terrible about it, but all I had heard was what people were talking about on the talk shows and the jokes that were being made. And so I had commented on more <laughs> the production value when I realized how many groundbreaking wins that there were for women and for people of color, all these amazing things that actually did happen. And I didn't mention any of them. I'm just so out of the loop that I, I'm so embarrassed about the answer I gave. Uh, dang it. And I suppose LA is, it's a very movie town, right? So everything, the conversation I suppose is, is always about movies and things. Yeah. Especially I guess in the industry, I'm, I'm very, in, in that bubble too. So most of my friends are also working and, and it's, it dominates every conversation, but we're all nerds about it and we love it. So of course, I mean, and that's how, that's what we were talking about. It's that it's just that there is this weird disconnect at the moment because we don't have that sort of theatrical experience and we don't, we're not having those conversations in the same way we would. But yeah, whereas it would feel like if, if the cinemas were open, I would have seen most of the nominated films just because I would have gone to, see them that week i probably would have seen one or two films that week so i was bound to have seen two thirds three quarters of them without even having to try exactly and i think driving to the theater and knowing that you've paid for a seat it puts you in a certain preparedness and a certain mindset to be able to really absorb what you're seeing whereas when you're like sitting in your underwear at home yeah. eating dinner just throwing something on while you're eating it like, I feel like I can't really take it in as well. So Yeah, it's exa exactly what I was going to say. I was, it's, even, even if you watch films back-to-back -back at the cinema, even the process of coming out into the lobby, buying a ticket, going to the bathroom, you know, going to uh, get a drink or whatever it is, even just the process of uh, coming out and then going back in, and, you know, that's different from downloading another film I you know. <laughs> or like binge binge watching the Oscar the Oscar nominations is kind of that's not that's not mm. the way to go about watching films really 
Right, and I feel like they wouldn't want us to see it in that way too, because they they put so much of their heart and their souls into their work that, you know, yeah. we want people to be able to watch it with clear, fresh minds and, uh, you know, undistracted. And and I think a lot of what I've been watching has been very unchallenging films and films I've seen before and kind of comforting films because it's a sort of odd time. It doesn't feel like a time where I think, I'm going to watch something really challenging, which probably a lot of those movies will be, and all the better for it. I'd much rather experience that by going to watch it and having everything else, you know, just watching this kind of screen with black darkness around it and just absorb that. I don't want to try and watch something challenging right now. I, I agree. I wonder where that comes from. If it's like, because we have so much quiet time alone at home right now, we already have so many deep thoughts we're constantly processing in our minds that we really need the escapism more. Mm. Whereas, you know, yeah. in the world, usually if we're going to work, we're seeing friends, we have all those distractions. So when we get home, we can be at peace. Also, it's not always your choice what you see, you know. Mm. You, like me and Nat are, f are friends because we go to the cinema and uh, we go for a drink afterwards and talk about it. And sometimes it'll be what's on. Sometimes it'll be what he wants to see. Sometimes it'll be what I want to see, you know. And sometimes, yeah, sometimes it'll be um, we've seen everything else. And, um, and so you don't always get that choice. And now that I've had just every year, I've accidentally watched Highlander three times this year. Um, <laughs> And I don't even like Highlander. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> it's like I've I've rewatched films that I watched again last year, and it's it's kind of like it's really. I think it's like you have so much to choose from when you're at home, that you yeah. end up either watching stuff that you've already seen or scrolling for hours until you find something else that you've already seen. Exactly. But the, I I. I that was one of my thoughts when I was sending you guys my list. I was like, I have so many just, like, fun, random movies that I feel like wouldn't top people's lists. But right now, those are the ones that I'm, I'm wanting to watch and I'm appreciating more than... I think I put Bridesmaids on there. I've seen that so many times this year, and I, I love it. I do think it's a great film also, but it's, it's fun. It's one of those where I can sit and watch it over and over, and I'm, I'm always in the mood to watch it and... I think that in addition to, you know, you, you can look at the Oscar-nominated films, you could look at, like, true works of art, uh, but I do believe that there is just as much value in films like Bridesmaids for people, so that is why I included it and why I, I love it. I love it. I love it. 100%. Abs yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's, there's films that are just kind of, like, hands down, some of the greatest... Uh, uh, experiences or some of the, the most well-crafted movies, um, some of the biggest award winners and prestigious films, and then, you know, uh, there's stuff like Joe Dirt that I've seen, and you go, that's not winning any awards, but I've seen that more times than I've seen The Godfather, <laughs> you know? <laughs> that's so true. So go on, Nat. And I was just going to say, and I guess that's interesting again when we were saying that Justice League's the current number one film in a week of the Oscars. So it almost shows this is what people around the world want to want. They want kind of reassuring. They want a fun movie probably mm -hmm. more than they want something challenging right now. So you can mm -hmm. kind of see it that you would think in a week like this, most mm -hmm. people's eyes would be focused on 
oh, what's won the Oscars? Where instead it seems to be people are still after kind of escapism because I guess people's, you know, people's lives aren't that much fun at the moment. So I guess it's, they still want something fun to watch. Yeah. Uh, and I guess we're on the the lucky side of that coin with, with the timing of that working out. I, I guess I, I'm pretty lucky that the timing of the Snyder Cut being released is also just a couple months prior to Army of the Dead because I do feel like when we were making it, of course it's a Zack Snyder film, so there's going to be a, a loyal fan base that we all love mm-hmm. so much. But I think, at least in my mind, I was I was not sure what Netflix films were shaping into at that time yet. It was still kind of new for them to be making the big blockbuster films. Um, so it was going to be a streaming film, which would be the, I thought, but now the Snyder Cut was released, the first movie made for streaming from Zack. And so in my mind, it was maybe smaller. I thought there'd be less eyes on it or less speculation. But because the Snyder Cut was released just in March and now it's coming out in May, I feel like everyone had so many eyes on the Snyder Cut that it has all transferred over to Army of the Dead now. And we've had so much interest in hashtag. (laughs) Zack Snyder's Justice League has got Zack Snyder's name in it. Zack Snyder's Justice League. So it's kind of like, you know... He's done this thing, which I think that the behind-the-scenes story of Justice League is is just as fascinating as the story on screen, you know? Um, and I think that there's a lot of goodwill surrounding that film. And then the fact that he's been able to follow it up almost straight away with Army of the Dead, which, although it's not a sequel to uh, Dawn of the Dead... I think most people regard Dawn of the Dead as one of the only horror remakes that really works. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and the fact that, it, so it's sort of like, it's, it's Zack Snyder kind of like, it feels like Zack Snyder really knowing his fan base. It's mm-hmm. kind of like, hey, we're, we're doing something else. There's no superheroes in this. Uh, but it kind of like harkens back to one of his first big hits. And then it's also sort of like something new. It's really exciting. (laughs) But even with those, you know, George Romero zombie films, they have sequels, but they're, it's a, it's the same zombies, but they're, it's in a different setting. So they're kind of sequels in, in name only anyway. So I guess it has that same feel of being in the same kind of, I don't know, universe, if you can think of it that way, that there's a zombie apocalypse happening. We haven't really spoken about the plot, have we? No, no, it's been, uh, yeah, it's still upcoming. But um, what I was going to say about that is, in a way, at least from my perspective of things, it feels like a cool new chapter for him. It almost feels like Justice League was this, um, I don't want to say like problem or this thing. It just became such a, a, a big deal that when that chapter finally got to close, it's like Dawn of the Dead was kind of his first big that started his what his career is now. And now Army of the Dead is in the same genre and it feels like a, the new Zack. And it, it very much felt like that when we were filming because he was director, he was cinematographer, he was operating the cameras. He was like back to his roots of filmmaking. It was a really cool thing to see how he's just behind the camera and he had crafted them and designed them with red. And it was, it was such a, a, I want to say personal experience for him. He was like right there. He wasn't 30 feet away 
you know, having to give notes through three people along the way, he was actually the one holding the camera. So new, new time. And uh, neither Nick nor I have seen the film. We have asked, but it, was, it didn't happen. Um, <laughs> but, um, um, tell us a little about the plot. It appears to be a heist movie. It's got sort of, it's a horror movie, but it also looks like it's fun and it's comedic in parts. Can you give us a, an idea of what the story is of the film? Uh, yep. Yeah, a group of mercenaries are tasked with... Uh, infiltrating a zombie-infested Las Vegas to potentially get the payout of their life. So uh, within that, like you said, it is a, a action heist thriller, but it's also zombie genre, but it's also comedy, and it also has a lot of heart and family story to it. So I, I think it's going to be really cool in the way that it does span so many genres so i'm i'm thinking it's going to resonate with a lot of different kinds of people that maybe maybe even if zombies aren't your thing you can appreciate that it is a heist movie at its core and it's the ensemble film and you get each character and their own like their own they're very different than each other they come from different places we have a very international cast too so i think it's cool because everyone kind of brought their own culture and personalities to their characters and so it, it feels like a very uh global film when you watch it um but yeah i think i'm most excited about the heist part of it because i've, I've not gotten to work in that genre before and uh or actually zombies too i mean what's not to love about the movie the las vegas part too costume design set design it was so much fun guys it's really exciting it's really exciting um did you do your own stunts then I, I I did do my own stunts, so I am credited in, in the stunt department as well. But there's so much more to stunts having come from a stunt background that um, there were performers that did the pre-vising and did the gags and worked through all the choreography ahead of time for my character. So um, on that side of things, I know uh, a good friend of mine, Natalie Padilla, played me in all the previous stuff. So she she did a lot of the chamber's work behind the scenes. Um, and I, I need to credit that as well because I, I have that background and I know that that is just a, as much a part of the job as what we see on camera. So, Is that odd for you to, to have that experience of someone else doing stunts or doing the previous stunts than you thinking, oh, well, I would have done that at one point? <laughs> it, it is a strange feeling. I, I love it because I, I feel like I've... I have so much love and appreciation for it. I loved it even more that it was a friend of mine. You know, you make friends in the jobs and careers that you're doing. So I'm like, this is so fun that we get to like be the same character. Anytime you get to play dress up with a friend and, and twin with them. I mean, <laughs> that's just like the six-year-old me adoring. But, um, mm -hmm. but yeah, it is a, a weird feeling. The first time I, I had a, and I'm doing air quotes, people can't see, stunt double. <laughs> I totally nerded out. I wanted a picture with them. I'm like, this is a, <laughs> a, a, weird, a weird thing in life right now. <laughs> well, a couple of years ago, I guess one of the last big movies that would have come out would be uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And that, the sort of main relationship in that is a actor and their stuntman. And you mm -hmm. think, oh, that's a... And when you see it, you think, oh, that's one of those funny relationships I've never quite thought about but when you see it on screen you go oh that must be a really unusual thing so you've got someone who's I guess 
but it looks similar to you, but is also, so you've got this sort of friend who does things for you. What's that relationship like to have a stunt double and to be someone's stunt double? Uh, I guess it's different with every person because, you know, everyone has different personalities and they prefer different kinds of kinds of relationships. But from my experience, um, you end up forming a really amazing friendship with the person because you're kind of a team working together to create the best portrayal of a character. And so whether it's on the physical side or like on camera, full face, the emotional side, you are working as a team for a character. And so I think that there's a kinship that forms with that. Um, And you end up spending a lot of time together because in stunts, there's a lot of physicality that you need to practice and rehearse and train. And so that takes hours of your life. And so you end up training with your, your stunt double and actress side by side for, depending on the project, days, weeks, months. You have all this alone time together on set you you don't have pockets and things when you're in costume and wardrobe so you can like help each other get each other water when it's exerting hold things for each other if they need pads the stunt double will always have pads ready so it it really is a a, a beautiful team and you end up forming friendships and i'm i'm still friends with many of the actresses that i stunt doubled as well as friends with uh stunt performers that i've worked with closely so it's uh it, it, it is once upon a time in Hollywood was a beautiful story. I, I appreciated it on so many levels that I'm, I'm smiling right now thinking about it. So whoever <laughs> can't see me, I have a big smile on my face. <laughs> is, is it um, so when you're when you're filming kind of a complicated sequence? Um, mm-hmm. Is there um, is there a time when uh, you have your uh, you have your a- actor? and then you have your uh, stunt double is there a time when you're filming a bit here and then you're swapping out and then retaking shots like is it or is it kind of like you do the entire sequence with the lead and then you do the entire sequence with the stunt double um that will depend on the production and the the fight or whatever is happening sometimes you both might be in the same shot like the actress might be doing something and the camera leaves her for a second and then, you know, it's a stunt double later and, and they pop up and it's the same technical shot, but you, you wouldn't know it. So it can be like that or it could be sometimes people will shoot things in sequence. So there the actress might be doing a few shots and then when it gets to a part in the fight where you need the stunt double, they'll do that shot and as they continue, they'll just go back and forth as needed. Uh, and then sometimes if they're just doing the whole thing from one side, you can use the actress and then the whole thing from the other side, then you'll use the stunt double with the other actor. So yeah, it just depends on shooting, but it's both people will be there on the day and it, it is a lot of teamwork and you can give each other notes. The actress might tell the stunt performer, I think like maybe a little more aggressive or like there might be more energy in this part or the posturing or the way of walking to like walk with more weight in a certain part. And then the stunt performer might have more like technical fight notes, like, oh, make sure that your thumbs aren't tucked in for your fist when you're throwing these punches, or this punch was a little wide, so it needs to be more along this line. Um, so it's, it's cool that you can, you really do work together so much. And you come from a martial arts background as well. You, was it Wushu? 
Yes, yes, and uh, wushu is a Chinese performance martial art, Chinese kung fu. It's most known for what Jet Li does. He is very famous for it, and he does it beautifully. So he's the best example, I think. And you uh, were you a champion for Canada? Is that right? You you were you in a national team at one point? Uh, yeah, yeah. So I was before stunts. I was uh, an athlete, and I was on the Canadian national wushu team, and competed in the uh, nationals, Pan Americans, World Championships, and then. Um, the once-in-a-lifetime opportunity in the 2008 Olympics, um, Wushu was able to be like an exhibition kind of sport where I qualified and got to compete and stay in Olympic Village and do the whole thing. And uh, yeah, it was truly a once-in-a-lifetime experience because it has not been um, in the Olympics since then. So uh, yeah, that was the end of my athletic career. I kind of thought, okay, I, I went as far as I could have pushed myself and now it's time to really focus on the industry again so you're a, an olympian so when you were a kid were you <laughs> was your goal to do that or were, did you always have it back in your mind oh, i'd like to be in movies was that something that was it all did you want to do it all or was was your focus first martial arts and then you've changed where you'd want to be so i think i was a bit of a strange kid in that I really knew distinctly what I wanted to do at such a young age that it, it was a conscious decision when I joined Wushu that it would help my acting career. Uh, and specifically being Canadian, I knew that I had to be exceptional in something in order to qualify to even be able to move to LA to pursue acting. So it, it was a conscious decision on my part that my mom helped me you know, set the right goals and, and take the right steps to actually accomplish something like that. But yeah, when I was about four is when I knew I wanted to be an actress and I was always singing and dancing at home. And at 10, I started to actually take um, acting classes and I, I started jujitsu when I was four as well. So I was doing martial arts just for, uh, you know, work ethic, discipline, exercise. Uh, my mom was a black belt in jujitsu, so it was just kind of the family thing. But at 10 is when I was like, maybe this can really help my acting as well. And if I go into a performance martial art, that will translate on screen. And if I want to be like Jet Li, because I was obsessed with Jet Li, <laughs> then I think Wushu would be a, a good choice. And so I started Wushu and I got obsessed with it. I loved it. I wanted to take it as far as I could go. And I, I, I knew I needed accomplishments under my belt too to for it to help me at all really in the, the acting world so. it's interesting we had we had Ludi Lin on uh, quite recently and he has a very similar background that I think he was from a martial arts background but his mother worked in theater so it was almost that all these things kind of come together so that you've kind of both ended up in this kind of similar place at a similar time where you've mm -hmm. both had this uh, childhood and kind of adolescence where you've both been involved in martial arts to like a to like a very impressive degree and then you, at the same time you also have this theatrical background and it's mm -hmm. almost like you couldn't have really ended up doing anything else it's sort of I find it interesting just because I don't think I have that I still never really know what I want to do but I really like the idea that people's it's almost like um mm -hmm. fate has decreed that you will do all these things and end up where you are now I find that You've got a sort of perfect, perfect origin story. Oh, thank you. Pre-written. <laughs> but actually, I do feel like, 
you know, of course, hard work plays a part in things, but for the things in life that really are luck, I do feel very lucky that at a young age, I seemed to enjoy something so much that I knew I wanted to pursue it. Because like you said, I, I feel like most people, until you do the thing that you feel so passionate about, you don't know that that's what you want to do. And so if you happen to find that thing early in life, good for you. But if you if you are searching and doing hobbies and doing different life experiences, and you but you still haven't found that thing yet, I do feel like that is that's luck. Like you just need to do enough things until you find the thing. I agree. I agree. So I, yeah. I got very lucky in that sense, which meant I had a lot of time to then, you know, work on it so that I could. It also it also helps you get out of the way of yourself, you know, and you're not second guessing because from a young age you've always done this thing and so it's not kind of like well i could do anything today you know it's kind of like no this is what i do and let's take that to its extreme i get in the way of myself i'm very undecided about things and i want to do a different thing every day and you know i do a lot of things but i have i lack that focus um I think there's a, a lot of good qualities in that too though you get a, a a wide variety of life experiences whereas like every decision i make is basically towards my <laughs> end goal so i i don't veer off a lot for other things which i i think it you know i think it makes you a more well-rounded person so i still say kudos to you well, I like to end every conversation on getting our guests to uh, encourage me. So that's good. We've done that. um, that's, that's me. We, we are, we are, I've just about run out of time. So what we're going to, what I'm going to do now is I'm going to hand you over to Nathaniel and we're going to play a game with you. It's very straightforward. Uh, I'm going to get Nathaniel to explain what that is. Nathaniel. Okay, Samantha, this game is better or worse. And all you have to do is say whether... I'm going to give you a, a list of people, and you have to say whether the next person on the list is better or worse than the person before, based entirely on my opinion to score points. So it's based on what I think. Oh, my... Are you trying to get me in trouble? <laughs> no, no, because okay. you, you won't ever get in trouble, because it's only my opinion on anything. Okay. So you're only ever trying to predict what I might think. Okay. So beginning with Grace Jones... But do I think that Ed Sheeran is better or worse than Grace Jones? Worse. He's worse, yeah. He's worse. <laughs> yeah. I, I, yeah. I read this about you, so... Yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. I've done yeah, that was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't want to get into trouble, but straight away, she knows you're <laughs> yeah. Paul McCartney, better or worse than Ed Sheeran? Better. Better. Dolly Parton, better or worse than Paul McCartney? Better. Oh, Worse. Worse, but she's a fairy. Ah! Very high class. You're right, though. You're doing well. Oh, Elton John, better or worse than Dolly Parton? Better. Worse. Worse. Oh, really? I'm afraid so. Sean Connery, better or worse than Elton John? Better. Better. Yes. Meatloaf, better or worse than Sean? <laughs> worse. Better. Worse. Okay. <laughs> he's, he's a toss up that one. Kurt Cobain, better or worse than Meatloaf? Better. Better. Buster Keaton, better or worse than Kurt Cobain? Better. Better. 
Justin Timberlake. Better or worse than Buster Keaton? Worse. 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 And Alice Cooper. Better or worse than Justin Timberlake? Better. 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 Yes! Alice Cooper! That ain't great. Yeah, yeah, everyone agrees with me. Um, that's a brilliant. Right, what was the score? You got eight. You got eight. Yeah, you got eight, which is a distinctly average score. It means that you're not as good as Jen Brewster, Thomas Coombs, John Coleshaw, Ted Zillia, Zoe Lyons, Jason Manford, Joe Scadini with ten, David Vadil, Ken Chen, Mike Drucker, Harry Hill, Dominic Monaghan, Luke Morley with nine. But you are as good as Matthew Crosby, Susie Dent, Charles Eston, Hayne Federman, Henry Fraser, Eddie Hearn, David Hepworth, Jason Isaac, Simon West, Amanda Lad Jones, uh, John Niven, Magical Burns, Samantha Morton, Matt O'Connor, Miranda Raisin, Jeffrey James, Chris Stark, Baron and Sade of Arsene's two women, Michael Jai White and Gillian White, Gillian White with the eight, Richard Herring James, and you're better than Richard Herring James King, Ludie Lynn, Henry Nort, you beat Ludie Lynn, uh, Ludie oh. Lynn, Henry Normal, Janet Viney, Johnny Vegas with seven, Gary Delaney, Nail Frizzell, Frank Harper with six, and poor old Dave McLean with five. We need to start doing a new list from next week. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> After you said the first part, I was about to be like, "When to rub salt in my wound?" <laughs> You're like, "You are worse than all of these people." But then you continued it. You are much better than a lot of the other people at that game. So you've done well, um, Samantha. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, Army of the Dead is out on 21st of May on Netflix. I'm hyper excited about it. Congratulations with uh, finally uh, getting your recognition for Justice League. And, uh, yeah, and welcome to the Clubhouse. Lovely to meet you. Um, Thank you very much for joining us. Thanks, everyone, for listening this week. Uh, Look after yourselves. We're not out of the woods yet, but we're almost there. Uh, Take care and talk to you next week. Thank you very much.